Hi, welcome back to QAV. Uh, well, today we have an interview, and uh, it, this is a little bit awkward, but I just want to uh, put, a, I guess, a bit of a mere culpa at the beginning of it. So Stephen Moriarty is our guest today, uh, talking about his approach to investing. And uh, Tony and I thought the interview went well. We thought Steve's ideas had a lot of merit, particularly for a, a certain kind of investor, um, but then Tony made some comments uh, in the show that came out earlier this week where he was talking about uh, using Cape and Kelly ratios uh, and how he did some regression analysis on his own portfolio to see if it would have improved his results and he decided it probably wouldn't have. Um, uh, so Steve listened to that interview and emailed us saying that he was very disappointed uh, with the fact that we put Tony's comments out before the interview, and fair enough, uh, Tony and I did talk about that, and I, it's my call as the producer, I didn't really think it was a big deal, because you were going to get to hear the full interview this week. I don't think it would have made any difference if Tony's comments had come before or after, but anyway, Steve did, and he was disappointed by that, and that's his uh, prerogative. He also challenges Tony's uh, understanding of Cape and Kelly, says he doesn't really understand it, that he cherry-picked dates, etc., etc. We did invite Steve to come back on uh, and do a, an addendum to this interview uh, to, to refute Tony's analysis, and uh, he declined, which again is his prerogative. But um, So we're going to put the full interview out, unedited, that we did uh, last week, I think. And I just want to conclude, you know, when with saying that we, we were actually quite positive coming out of this interview about uh, Steve's approach. Coming into it, we were a little bit skeptical, and I told Steve about that. We'd read his book, and uh, whilst a lot of it we agree with, a lot of it is straight up what you hear on this podcast, some of the stuff about moving in and out of markets, trying to time it based on CAPE and, and using Kelly, you know, we obviously that's not. Uh, Tony's philosophy but after we had the interview we said actually no that makes a lot of sense for, for a particular kind of investor like if you don't want to go if you're the and I know there's a lot of people who listen to this that um, aren't ready to do the invest the sort of time and, and energy and capital that's required uh, for this kind of investing that Tony does um, that, that something like Steve's approach might be more suitable for you um, you know, that's absolutely valid. Uh, you know, there's not one style of investing that's going to suit everybody. Obviously, it depends on your situation and all those sorts of things. So we came out of it, you know, feeling quite positive about endorsing Steve's approach for a particular kind of investor. Um, uh, Steve, on the other hand, is not happy with uh, Tony's comments. So I just wanted a mere culpa that. So I guess... Uh, so you know that up front, those of you that have listened to our show that came out earlier this week. But there you have it. Um, I think you all know by now that we're nice guys. Uh, we don't set out to do hatchet jobs on anyone. We have no reasons to do a hatchet job. Um, you know, Tony, as he said on the show that came out earlier this week, is always looking to learn from our guests and from books he reads and whatever about how to improve his returns. That's all Tony cares about at the end of the day. How can he improve his returns over the long haul? That's what we all care about. So if he can find something that he thinks will improve his returns, he's going to adopt it. If he doesn't think it's going to improve his returns, he'll say so. 
that's not um, a hatchet job. You know, he's uh, genuinely uh, trying to uh, apply it to the best of his ability. Now, maybe, as Steve says in his email to us, uh, Tony doesn't understand Cape and Kelly, and he did it wrong. And that's possible. Tony's a lot of things, but uh, perfect is not one of them yet. Uh, you know, he's still working towards that, uh, as you know. Uh, so, um, you're all smart people listening to this i'm sure you'll come to your own conclusions um you know you, you disagree with tony all the time in our forums uh, and challenges uh, thoughts and analysis which is great he loves that he loves being challenged as you know so with that uh slightly awkward caveat up front here is the full and only edited for ums and ahs and timing and that kind of stuff interview with uh, Stephen Moriarty. Let's yeah. let's give people a quick uh, snapshot of your story, um, how you got here and, and what you do now. Okay. Um, basically, I'm, I'm 57 now. Um, I, I started uh, working at 15 um, because in those days, you could leave school at 15. Um, and I did because I hated it. <laughs> um, so I left school, you know, a bit of a working career. I went through sales until I, I, I started selling when I was 21. Um, then I, went, I decided to go to university when I was about 29. Um, and I did a science degree. Then I, I left there and I, I started working the uh, government environment department. Uh, from there, I went into the political office um, and became a uh, senior policy advisor chief of staff to a minister state government minister um then uh that was sort of about the time about 2000 that i started to get really serious about investing um and so i've been at it about probably roughly around 20 odd years um i still worked until um about 2014 we actually, uh, I got married in about 2004. Um, my then wife and I went to Japan. We both had a bit of a Japan expertise to us um, in 2005. Uh, and my wife uh, got the job. And when we got over there, I said, well, I'll get a job, you know, when we get there. Um, then uh, she got pregnant with our, our first child. Um, and so that's when I really started to focus a lot more on investing. Um, and then I sort of got to the point where because I was the sort of carer for our, uh, you know, primary carer, as they call it these days, I spent a lot of time reading and, you know, as I have always done and thinking about making an investment, um, you know, as a career. Um, so I did a master's of uh, applied finance um, and then basically took it from there, came back to Australia in about 2014. Um, promptly got a divorce um, and sort of sat around and thought, um, you know, I've got young kids still at school. I was used to being their, their primary carer, you know, doing the, doing the school runs, doing the canteen, doing the fishing, uh, the swimming clubs and stuff. And so when I got back and we got divorced and we sorted it out, I sort of thought, well, wouldn't it be good if I could actually just not work and just manage my money? Um, but I always really wanted to teach people um, more, more through enthusiasm 
um, and I did manage a few people's portfolios in Tokyo. And I would always say to them, look, this is not rocket science, this stuff. This stuff's really actually quite easy. You've just got to cut away the noise and, you know, adhere to these few sort of fairly simple principles. So long story short, I, I came back and I, I sort of just by osmosis, I think, wrote down the eight principles. And what I sort of developed was saying to people, look, whether you're investing in stocks or property or stamps or vintage cars and stuff, you need an investment philosophy, right? So you need to know what risk is. You know, what does risk really mean? And then I talk about decision-making, as you know, in the book. Um, and then there's the eight principles. So the eight principles are basically systematic investing. What you, are, what you hear, and you guys would be familiar with this, is people who don't know what they're doing, right? They get a bull market and then they lose it all because they don't have a system. Um, mean reversion, market cycles, um, and um, the risk hierarchy, which we'll probably get into. They were the thought principles. So what I said was, look, if you said to me, look, Steve, I've got 100,000, I'm gonna invest some money. And I would say to you, all right, well, what's your philosophy? And most people would say, what do you mean? And I'd say, well, what do you wanna double it in 10 years or 20 years? Or, you know, are you risk adverse? Or, are you, you know, do you wanna go down the horses and that sort of thing? So I talk to people about their personalities to make them understand that, that number one rule, know thyself. Because we know in the stock market, it's a really expensive place to find out about yourself. So from there, the next, the first four were to say, okay, if you said, okay, Steve, I've decided it's the stock market for me, then I would say, all right, let's go through these things that we can think about first before we actually invest. So let's think about market cycles. Let's think about, have you got a system? And let's think about risk hierarchy. Do you want to do companies or do you want to do indexes or you know, do you want to do options and that sort of thing? Then once you've got that down, let's now implement a, a systematic investing approach for you. And that's based on the action stuff. Buy low, sell high, diversification, asset allocation and rebalancing. What sort of the idea with the book was to say, here's eight principles that as, an, as a beginner or a novice, you can use to generally serve you well. Now, what, what I'd say to people is, look, the eight principles are a little bit like the 10 commandments. Now, they're not gonna work in every market. Okay, let me let me get that out up front. But if you don't sort of steal your neighbor's girlfriend and try to hock his wallet, you'll probably do all right in the market. So that's the idea of saying we I, I, we say the principles are timeless because they they work in all markets. It's not like a lot of the times you hear uh, in a markets where a lot of commentators will say or, you know, financial pundits will say, that's a great time to buy gold. And, you know, without saying to you, well, why is it a good time to buy gold? And then what you do is you say to them, oh, when, when, when's a great time to buy gold? Well, when the, you know, this, this does that and this does that. Oh, okay. How did that go in 1990? Oh, uh, no, that was awful then. Oh, okay. So that wasn't a good time for gold. No. Oh, okay. So you see what I mean? What happens is we get this point where, People will say, 
oh god i've killed it the last five years and i say oh that's great how'd you go the 10 years before that oh well you know wasn't that good and it's like oh right okay what about the five years before that oh yeah killed it that year too so the principles are basically the idea to say look you want to rely on these principles rather than cherry picking dates to sort of you know um pick investments if i can put it to you that way yeah no it's, it's you can it's it's a good way to look at it um i'm just uh, thinking back to what you said you you did a science degree at, when you were a student as well yes. and so and so did i so that's something we have in common but right. i think my biggest takeaway from your book low rates high returns was the saying that we should be looking at stats and not stories and yes. i think that's that's central to i think both our philosophies of investing it's about the numbers it's not about the stories yeah what i find tony is um and i found this over the 20 years and you would have done this too you know you i mean we've got it going on now you know with um, Zoom and Netflix and Uber and Tesla, you know, like um, I saw a thing with Tesla yesterday where, you know, um, one of the, the ardent supporters of Elon Musk said the shares could go to $15,000. Mm. Now, if you look at that and say, well, that's true, um, let's, let's follow that through, shall we? Okay, Elon Musk will be selling every electric vehicle. In fact, Elon Musk will be selling every vehicle, truck, bike, scooter, and anything with a motor in it for the next 20 years. Um, Plus so, tickets to Mars and rocket ships to the space station. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you'll get that for free when you buy the Tesla. <laughs> so, but as you know, what I do is in a similar way to Buffett's four filters. Is it cheap? No. Okay. Well, I'm not even going to try. Mm. Okay. I don't, I don't want to. And I, I readily say to people, small caps is not my forte. And I'm not really a growth investor. But when you look at the way Warren Buffett invests, Buffett doesn't invest in growth per se. What Buffett says is, I want a stock with a bond-like quality. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is, the first thing I want to do is survive. Mm -hmm. the small caps come and go, as you know, at a great rate. And you know that even large caps come and go. So when I, when I look at that, I often think that it's, it's easier to use, you know, let me give you an idea. Let, um, let's have a look, right, it's got a cheap PE. Okay, well, let's have a look at that. And it's got, you know, a fairly moderate, modest debt capacity. Okay, well, that's pretty good. Um, and it's got a fairly good market share with an operating margin. Yep, okay, and it's been around 100 years. Yep, okay. So I tend to look at, if I can use a current example, I'll look more at BP, then I will at Afterpay because BP has been through recessions. We've done the oil ups and downs and it'll be here in 20 years. Afterpay may well be, but I can't tell you. Um, and it's sure as hell not worth 100 bucks a share, but that's, you know, a, a whole other story. But I, what I do for <laughs> the sort of, what I generally say to people is you can make good investment returns by basically buying safe, systemic, long-type companies and do very well using the action principles of asset allocation and, and rebalancing. Mm. So the first, the first question that um, our listeners will want me to ask you is what kind of returns has your system been getting for you? 
Right. Okay. Now, I'll tell you the returns and then I'll throw you in all the caveats. How's that sound? Um, Sounds usual. (laughs) um, First of all, the the strategy that we use, that we we teach people, we teach three, but I'll I'll use the, what I call the well-to strategy, which is the sort of midterm strategy. Now, in developed markets from about, uh, let me think, I'll have to go back, 2000, uh, so I think it's either 10 or 11, 2010, 2011, um, developed markets has returned about 18% and a dividend. And, a, you know, so let's call the dividend rounded up and say three. In developed markets, it's about 23% per year. In uh, sectors, it's about 13 and in styles, which is value and growth, it's about 20. Now, everyone's going to go, oh, my God, that's fantastic. Give me that mm. strategy. Now I'm going to give you the caveats. The caveats are this, and it's, it's, it's really important that people understand this part. First of all, that's buying most of those ETFs in the US market. So you've got a currency issue. Mm-hmm. You can avoid that. I won't dwell too long, but you can avoid that by having one account which buys and sells in US dollars. Um, You know, when the dollar was at a dollar, I was buying Bank of America at $6. You know, absolute, you know, smashing bargain. But when the dollar goes to 70, you might say, oh, well, you lose capital growth. Yes, you do, but your dividend is then fantastic. So there's that issue. The second issue, so first of all, there's the, the currency issue. Second of all, and it's a really critical one. What I explain to people all the time is, I can be a great investor, but if the market refuses to give me good returns or good opportunities, I'm not going to do as well. And what I mean by that is, let me give you an example. Um, Last year, 2019, the strategy delivered about roughly about 25%. Now, that's a great return. However, because that the CAPE ratio was at about 30 to 33, I've had about 10% of my, my total wealth in the market. Right. Okay. Okay. So what it's saying, you know, if you said to me, Steve, how'd you go last year? And I said, Tony, 25%. Man, you killed it. If you told me in dollar terms, as a, as a portion of my wealth, you go, oh, gee, Steve, that's, you know, not exactly a great lot, is it? Right. And that's what, right. I, so that's you, what so, I... So just to be clear, if you added the cash to the shares the 25% increase in the shares is a much smaller amount of the total uh, portfolio. Yes. So again, and I'm sure we'll get into this with the, the Kelly stuff, is again like Buffett. I, I've, I've made most of my money in 2009 when the market crashed in Australia. Mm-hmm. 2011 when American banks crashed in late, uh, about November, I think. Mm-hmm. 2014 in Russia, which I still hold, mm-hmm. and 2016 in Brexit. I haven't done much since then, um, and I've probably a little bit of buying and selling other than using the strategy, if I can put it to you that way. And but so your, your system is when those kinds of events occur, you go long stocks and don't hold much cash and, and almost go all into your, mark, to your investments. I, um, I would use the Buffett analogy, which is when it's, raining, um, when, it's, when it's raining heavily, reach for a bucket, not a thimble. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, the, so there's, a, so, there's yes. a few concepts there. Maybe we could just walk through those. So you sure. mentioned the, the CAPE ratio. Could you explain that for our listeners, please? 
Yep, the CAPE is called the cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio. So it's basically was invented by Ben Graham, uh, who was the sort of doyen of value investing. So what the, uh, but it was popularized, if I can put it that way, by a, a gentleman economist from Yale called Robert Schiller. Now, what, what does CAPE do? CAPE says, Imagine you came to me and you said, Steve, I want to, I want to invest 100,000. I say, okay. Now, what you want to say is, is it a good time to invest? And I say, oh, actually, yeah, that's a good question. So what I do is you say, look, I'll tell you what, let's look at the, let's look at the average earnings or the average uh, earnings of, um, let's say, Bank of America, okay? So, or sorry, let me use the stock market per se. You would look at the US index and say, the average annual return is roughly about eight to 10%. Mm -hmm. okay. Now we know that the average is made up of, you know, five or 10 years or 20 or 30. Now, if you've had a really bad run, the returns would be awful. But when you're investing, you're not investing in the rearview mirror, you're investing in the future. Mm -hmm. So I would say to you, look, the market's very cheap and you're going, oh yeah, but it's gone down 40%, it's horrible, right? And I say, now let's put a lot of money into the stock market. You say to me, what are you bloody crazy? But what I say is, look, it's offering a really good yield at the moment. And what people tend to focus on is the capital gain of the stock market Mm -hmm. rather than the full earnings yield, which is your dividend and the capital gain. Mm -hmm. So what, so again, so what you say is, okay, so, so is it a good time to put my money in now? And I say, all right, let's have a look and see where we are in the market cycle. Now, if the average return, as we know, is about 8%, if the return is really low, that means the price is really high. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is say, well, hang on, if it's a high price, it's probably going to fall. Well, I might hold off and wait for it to fall. So if I can use a, 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 another analogy, there's 100 guys in a room, right? And I'm the average height, which is five foot ten and a half or 100, uh, five foot nine and a half um, or 175 centimetres. It's like saying to me, there's people walking in, you know, and it's fluctuating around my, my average. Then the Harlem Globetrotters walk in. Right? Now, what happens is you wouldn't say, you know what, Steve, I'm going to bet the next 10 blokes after them are the Harlem Globetrotters, and I'll bet they're going to be even taller. What you say is, well, hang on, Tony. If we, if we know the average is Steve, then I think we're probably going to get some jockeys walk into the room, <laughs> right, to make to balance it out again. Yeah, and when the jockeys get into the room, Steve, that's the term, uh, the time to invest. And so, what Schiller said was, when you look at a PE ratio, we know over the long term that the E is fairly steady, right? It, it goes fairly steady. The thing that really has the volatility is the P, mm. the price. And so, the Cape ratio says to you, the long term average is seventeen. Currently, it's at about 36, according to Schiller's measurement. So you look at that and say, oh, okay. That's, so in other words, there's a lot of Harlem Globetrotters in that room. And I say, yes, there is. The odds 
of you getting a really good return from putting your money in now are very, very slim for the next 10 years. The next six months, don't know, it could go to 40, could go to 44 like it did in the, uh, the, the uh, dot-com bubble. Mm-hmm. But what it does, Tony, in my mind, is says if you divide the CAPE into 100, which is, you know, 36 into 100, you get roughly three, that's the re- average return you'll get for mm-hmm. the next 10 years if you invest now. But if you, if the market, if I wake up at the end of this year and the CAPE ratio is 17, then my 10-year return will be 100 divided by 17. If I wake up and the market crashes to a CAPE ratio of 13, then I'm going to get seriously great returns. And that's how you get the market cycles. And it's why I teach that stuff. Because what it, what it does for people is to say, where am I? Right? And if I said to you, look, Tony, just ignore the, the stock market and all that crazy capital gain stuff, because you're not going to get it unless you sell. You're going to invest now and you're going to get roughly three for the next 10 years. And you say, oh, you know, that's not too bad. And I say, all right, let's take away inflation. Oh, okay, well, what's that? Well, that's about two. All right, so now you're down to one. And you better take off your fees. Oh, okay, well, what about that? Well, that's about one. And then you've got taxes. Oh, okay, so what am I left with? Uh, Nothing. So when you look at the the last 20 years, if you invested in 2000 at the peak of the the dot-com bubble, you've made basically nothing even though you've had a doubling from 203 to 207 and a 300% from 209 to now. Mm. So, okay, so you're, you're basically talking market indexes though, aren't you? But one of the things that, that I found, which is why I don't use the, the CAPE ratio, is that even in a, a, a market with a high CAPE PE number, I can still find individual stocks um, that are quality value to buy. So I'm Absolutely. kind of pushing the index aside and looking at the, the nuggets that are still there, whether the market's going up or going down or sideways or whatever. Yeah, I think, look, I, Tony, for someone experienced like yourself, I, would, I wouldn't argue. My argument, though, if I was to you know, oppose it, would be, and this is where I teach the risk hierarchy. So here's what I say to people. Look, if you said to me, um, Steve, I've got 100000 and I want to invest. And I said, all right, look, I'll tell you what. Put it in cash, you'll get 1%. You go, mm, I'm hoping for a little bit more than that. And I say, okay, I'll tell you what, let's buy bonds. Little bit of risk, but you'll get one and a half. Right? And you say, oh, I was hoping for a bit more than that. And I say, all right, let's buy stocks. Now, if you said to me, look, I, you know, I don't want to risk too much money. I would say to you, all right, we'll just buy the country index. All right? Mm-hmm. And you can, you can, market time that with the PE, with the mm-hmm. CAPE, and you can buy and sell and make money over the long term. Mm-hmm. Now, if you said to me, and if I said to you, look, I'll tell you what, let's get in and buy these really big, you know, quality companies and we'll do this. And you went, oh, geez, that all looks a bit hard. What I would say to you is this. When you buy, when you look at the distribution of returns, you get these, these companies that are responsible for a huge gain exactly like you've got at the moment. Mm-hmm. Five companies of the S&P 500 are responsible for the, all of the return. Now, that doesn't mean, as you say, you can pick good companies um, because I've done that exactly the last few weeks in the oil sector. But what I say is this, um, and a really good book on this is Bulls, Bears and Croupiers mm-hmm. with Matthew Kidman, where mm-hmm. he said, 
we picked great companies. We had 30% in cash and we got absolutely smashed in the GFC. So what, uh, and you know this, Tony, is when the shit hits the fan, everything correlates to one. Right. And so I say to myself, um, I say to myself, well, when you look at the CAPE ratio, the higher the CAPE, the bigger the drawdowns. Mm -hmm. So if you said to me, Steve, the CAPE's at 12, mate, and I found, you know, Bank of America and something, I'd say, Tony, you know, great idea, go for it. Because what I'm saying, Tony, is probabilistically, the odds are really in your favour, right? You've got to, is the market crap? Yep. Is the sector crap? Yep. What about the company? 100 years old, been there for, you know, been there since Adam was a boy. Right, huh? get in there, buy some, which is exactly what I do. When the sector is in trouble, like I'm doing at the moment with oil. Mm -hmm. right? So, but what I do is, where I, def, where I differ is, I say, I suspect I might probably have a temporary loss of capital. Therefore, I'm going to adjust my asset allocation. So if, I, if, if you said to me, Steve, I've got 10,000 uh, and I want to put it in BP, I'd say, all right, look, oil's really super cheap, but it might fall further. So I'll tell you what, let's put, say, 7,000 in BP and let's put 3,000 against it. And if you, if you come back in three months and say, gee, Steve, you know, it's gone down 10%, I say, okay, I'll tell you what, let's take 1,000 and now add to it because you're not getting BP at a dollar. You're now getting it at 80 cents, 90 cents. So, you know, you're actually getting more shares. So you're averaging down, which I know in a lot of, a lot of uh, people's minds or analysts' minds is heresy. But the statistics also show, the studies also show, fund managers who double down make more money. And indeed, Warren Buffett doubles down. You know, he, he doubles down. So. That if you get your asset allocation right, the rest of it flows fairly well from there. And I take my asset allocation from the big Cape ratio because what I, what I saw in 0708, Tony, was value investors, as you would know, say, but you don't worry about that macro stuff. Just focus on the company. And what I remember was mm -hmm. Charlie Munger said, we didn't realise when we were buying the furniture shop that the, was doing office furniture. And I think he, if I recall correctly, he was basically saying, we were like, oh, don't worry about the bloody macro, you know, just as long as you buy a good company. Well, they bought a good company, but what he did was he said, we didn't realise how connected it was to the macro. Mm. You know, what was that? It was the housing boom. So again, I, I'm, I'm, I let macro be my dominant uh, number because it doesn't matter if you buy quality, you will get smashed in a big drawdown. Whether you've got the fortitude and the money to actually then double up is, is I think, quite hard. Also, I think what Kelly shows you is that over the long term, you want to avoid, that's why Buffett says, don't lose money because the way to make money is by not losing money, not, you know, going to the casino and doubling up on red every time. Yeah. Yeah, look, there's so many things I want to explore with you. So let me just start with some simple questions. What, what kind of cash allocation do you have in your portfolio now? About 90%. Really? So you're 10% invested? I've got about 90 in cash 
um, I'm a I, I'm short the US market, mm -hmm. uh, and I have a portfolio of stocks. Predominantly, I got a I got a few of Aussie stocks, um, mm -hmm. Telstra, uh, Platinum Asset Management, all the ones that everybody hates. Um, <laughs> I have uh, some British stocks. Um, like with Telstra, by the way. All <laughs> uh, right, okay. Um, well, telcos. I bought Telstra a couple of years ago. Telcos globally are very cheap. Yeah. Um, and they've got good dividends. Yeah. Um, is, is Telstra going away? No, not in my mind. Could be. Um, there's always that sort of stuff about, you know, that's, I mean, that, you know, it's like Bruce Greenwald sort of said, you know, that's why it's cheap. Um, yeah, it's going so, backwards, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to distract you. But so yeah. just let me, let me then follow on from that question. So if, you, if you're 10% invested, I think you said before that you were getting 20 plus percent returns over yeah. the last, however long it was, I think from 2000. Uh, 2010. 2010. Yes. If, if you're getting, and I think the way you said it was, you're getting that for your investments, not from the total portfolio of cash and shares. Is that right? That's right. If you're getting 20 plus percent from your share investments, why don't you allocate all your capital to share investments? Because that's also Kelly. He's saying, put your money where you get the best return. Yes and no. Kelly's saying, what Kelly was saying was that essentially, and, and this is where Kate comes in. Kelly says, when the odds are in your favour, you should bet a lot of money. Mm. Um, which, you know, we're all going to shake our head and go, yeah, well, of course, mate, that's a no-brainer. So, but what, what people don't realise is, and this is what I think personally with Kate, when the market crashes, I'll go 80 to 90%. Mm. Now, if I come back in five years' time and the earnings yield in the market, which was at 11% when I started, is now 1%, and the cape is high saying, listen, that's going to crash. Kelly would say to you, what are you nuts? That's a dumb bet. People get influenced because they say, oh, Steve, you've made 250%. Stay in, bro. What I'm saying is, yeah. And let me give you a perfect example. In 1982, cape was at seven, right? Mm -hmm. Pile out, right? 2000, it's at 44, pile out. 16% annual, right? You're a genius. Now, Go to 2009, from 2000, you lose 60%. You lose 60% of your 600% that you made from 82 to 2000. Mm -hmm. So now you've made 240 or 50% from 82 to 09. There's your 8%. So what I do is I, I sort of, I, I specialise, if I can put it to you that way, in saying, I make my money in big heaps, yep. not, a, not a linear approach. And I, I say to people, look, the last three, four years, my returns haven't been very good. And it's the same reason why Buffett's returns haven't been that good. Because as a Kelly investor, you get periods where you get outperformed in building your capital. And it's usually in a raging bull market. Mm. Where you outperform is you don't lose money. And what mm. Buffett, that's why Buffett says, I build, I'm, I'm, I'm just growing my capital. I'm not interested in beating the market. I'm just making more and more money. How do you do that, Warren? I don't have dud stocks. 
<laughs> and that's why Buffett is simply, and I am like Kelly by saying, I'll wait till everything's on, on, on sale and then I'll go in then because the odds are in my favour. Yeah, I mean, Buffett, Buffett also has the advantage, though, of the insurance company float throwing off lots of cash. So yeah, you know, wouldn't we all like to be like that? But I guess the analogy is that if, if I was still working and I had my income to invest, then I may not invest at all in if I couldn't find anything to invest that was met my criteria, I wouldn't invest. So that's yes. the same, same sort of thing. But, but what I've also found with, with the Kelly approach over the years is it's, a, it's kind of Kelly... Kelly also says, put your biggest bets on when you're getting the best returns or where you're getting the best returns. Mm. So if you did go all in all the time because you you get big returns, but they're lumpy, uh, and, and even though you will have a GFC where you'll come down 40%, yes. uh, it's, that's, that kind of is the other side of the coin to sitting in lots of cash and only going long during certain times, right? Because... Um, you've got lots of cash sitting on the sidelines doing nothing for long periods of time, which, which drags down on the results as well. So I've often found it to be a fairly zero-sum game. Well, I, my argument would be, and I, I think I, I bear this out, is basically saying, and I, I use a slide in, uh, when I talk to people about, <clears throat> excuse me, market cycles, people sort of go, oh, Steve, you know, you're not earning any money in cash. And I say, no, I'm not, actually. I understand that. Now, what I say is this, let me give you an example. I'll, I'll, I'll offer you and your brother an investment, right? And I say to you, I'll tell you what, Tony, I'm going to offer you 7% next year, every year for 10 years, right? And you say, great, average return, right? And I say to your brother, now listen, Bill, I'm not going to give, I'm only going to give you 4% for the first four years, okay? So guess what? Tony's going to rub it in your face because he's earning 3% more every year, right? And four years is a long time. So he's going to really give you the shits after that four years. Mm. However, then for the, for the next six, I'm going to offer you 10% compound. Right? Mm -hmm. While Tony's only getting seven. After 10 years, your brother, uh, uh, you fine. end up with more money. The reason why, Tony, is because exactly the idea of buy low and you compound at a higher rate. So... Mm. The argument is, oh, Steve, you're missing out on returns. No, I'm not, because no one sells out at the top um, because if they're a, that sort of buy and hold type investor. And what I say to people is, Kelly has shown that whichever way you cut it, it outperforms a buy and hold. And it's not, it's not dependent upon the market. It's dependent upon the basically the compounding and mathematics and what it is, is not losing. Yeah. Look, I, I understand what you're saying, but we're really talking about indexes here, aren't we? So, um, yes, it's, um, it's, it, if you, if you have a, if you have a system, which we do, and we talk about on our podcast where you do get out of stocks and you do get into them at different times and you can hold cash and, and, and reinvest it when the market looks good. Um, and you do it much quicker than what you're saying. You can, you, you can get, Good returns doing that too. But let me just ask a few questions about what you've said. So um, I went to the Berkshire Hathaway, Hathaway AGM three or four years ago and someone asked Buffett, uh, is the market overvalued? Yes. And he said, yeah, the CAPE ratio is a, at that stage was at 30 something, 31, yep. 32%. He said, so the market looks overvalued except interest rates are low. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. what's the effect of, of interest rates on the CAPE ratio? Okay. Now, the, uh, first off, 
if you you and I would know what would happen if you and I went out tomorrow and said, you know, Tony and Steve have said the market's overvalued, right? No, it's time to get out. The effect on the market would probably be pretty well close to zero. If Warren Buffett said, listen, I'll tell you what, it's crazy out there. Whew, man, it's crazy. People would sell down a lot more. Um, as you mentioned before, Buffett is so large, or let me, Buffett is so large now, he can't make a statement. According to his own, you know, the Buffett indicator, according to market cap GDP, it's at 140, significantly overvalued, you know, you'd be out of the market. Mm. Also too, Buffett is so big, he can't sell down those holdings yep. because he hates paying tax. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, as you said, he's got that bloody Geico gushing cash that he, you know, he puts to use. Um, so there's, there's that to start with. Now, in terms of interest rates and CAPE, what people say or the, the underlying assumption is that interest rates make companies cheaper. Okay? Yep. And if interest rates are higher, well, companies aren't worth as much. Okay? No problem. I'm going to sort yep. of argue with that other than I don't think it's a strong correlation. Um, the other factor is people you can see in in history where interest rates have been climbing and the market has still been performing really well mm -hmm. the argument would be well hang on wouldn't companies be more expensive and that makes them more risky no it doesn't so that is in favor of your argument about buying you know quality companies um so that the, the third thing is that You've got to look at that, you know, the assumption is there's a correlation between interest rates and returns, and it's partly that. But the dominant factor by a long way is valuation. Mm. When you look at valuation, you know this, Tony, with a company. If it's expensive, well, don't. It can be a great company. Look at Microsoft in 2000. Great company. Yep. You, it went nowhere for 15 years. And, and Microsoft earnings were getting better and bigger and the moat was getting stronger every year. You still didn't do any good. So why? Because you were paying too much for it. Mm. Um, but on that thing, look, as I say, the, the, the assumption is, again, that interest rates play, you know, the discounted cash flow. Um, my argument is to, all right, look, I don't have a problem if, and this is where I, I vary a bit on, property at the moment where people say yeah mate rates are cheap you should buy a house well first of all everybody's you know going crazy in the stock market on margin why because money's cheap so in other words the companies are way overvalued even though interest rates are cheap and in fact there's a terrible correlation because there's cheap money and everybody's pushing the price up and the yield is actually coming down secondly if you bought a property and went i'm getting two percent i'd say that's great how do you think you'll go in 15 years? Oh, oh, well, I'm not too sure. Well, I hope you can pay if it's say goes to 4%. Yeah. So again, it's, it's really looking at the valuation as a, as a guide. Now, as you, as I've said, you know, you can still pick good companies and I've, I've still got my Russian investments that I bought in 2014. Why? Cause it's crazy cheap and I've made heaps of money. But it's because the valuation is still very cheap. Whereas the interest rate argument, I think, is often used as a bit of a furphy. Um, and by that I mean, you know, that's the, you know, the equity risk premium and 
all of this sort of stuff. And what I sort of say to people is, you know, the SBD risk premium, they're like, what, uh, what, what's the ERP, Steve? What's that again? And what I'm, what I'm aiming at, Tony, is to help people um, invest safely with, the, with a sort of set of simple principles. And if someone said to me, you know, Steve, I love this stuff. It's like, right, well, now you can, you know, go and look further, so to speak. So, okay, so in your, in your book, you talk about rotating out of um, country ETFs, for example. Yes, yes. Um, so if you're sitting on 90% cash, are you saying that the whole world and its stock markets are overvalued? No, what I'm saying is that the big, uh, the big, the big elephant in the room is the US. Yeah. So if you have a look at the, 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 you know, the quilt of the returns, what you see is in 2008, we all got smashed. Why? Well, because the US got smashed. Oh, okay. In 2011, we, we didn't do too well. Why not? Well, the US didn't do too well. Oh, okay. Um, and in 2018, in the last three months, the US dropped a lot. And guess what else? We all fell down. Oh, okay. What about 2009? Well, we all did well. Why? Well, because the US went back up again. We all did well in 2009. Oh, really? Why? Because the US went back up again. So what I'm saying is that the, the important thing about diversification is having uncorrelated asset classes. So what a lot of people do is they say, oh, I'm all right, mate. I'm in, I'm in Brazil and I'm in Chile. And I say, oh, okay. Well, have you had a look at what happens when the US market falls a lot? Oh, no. What happens? Well, they get smashed too. Oh, okay. But you said they're cheap. I know they're cheap, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to get belted when the Cape ratio is expensive. And so what you see, Tony, throughout history is when the US sneezes, everybody catches a cold. Now, it varies in terms of the range of returns, but generally, if the US goes down a lot, everybody else goes down exactly what happened in february where it went 35 percent down and everybody went so so sorry your book talks about rotating between country etfs based on a kind of dogs of the dow approach to it a little bit yes are you, yes. Are you saying you're not doing that now you're just sticking with the us because it's it's the it's the dominant correlation driver yeah no the strategy is is done every year right the variation is your asset allocation mm -hmm. you see oh, so, so your your 10 percent investment might be in brazil for example yeah 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 I'll, i will have three developed countries three emerging three sectors and three styles okay, okay. but you've only got 10 percent of your portfolio allocated to those this year that's, that's exactly right and you're basing that allocation based on the cape ratio for the us not the countries you're invested in it's a mix Okay. So let me give you that. Let me give you the asset allocation. At a macro level, if you said to me, Steve, I've got uh, let's use a convenient figure, one hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and I and you said, Stephen, I want to invest, and I say, okay, well, look, let's put ninety thousand in stocks, and let's put thirty thousand in bonds, right? And then you say, okay, all right. So you got that sorted out, and then you say, okay, Steve, I've got this ninety thousand. Now what do I do? I say, okay, I tell you what, let's let's spread, let's make it ten thousand across each investment right let's say nine ETFs, nine of the cheapest etfs excuse me and so then you say oh okay well russia's really cheap so i'll put all the ten thousand in no 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 put eight in there and keep two in cash right oh well why am i doing that steve because 
if the US market falls, Russia will probably fall, even if it is cheap. Right. Now, what CAPE importantly shows you, Tony, is the cheap countries get cheaper, but they don't fall as much as the, yeah. the expensive ones. Yeah. Okay. So can you, um, so we've talked about Kelly criteria, maybe, maybe it's worthwhile going through some of the math behind that, because I think the concept's fairly obvious to people. You put, put your money when you've got the best odds. Yes. Um, I've always struggled. I've always, I've always, gra- I've always um, understood Kelly conceptually, but struggled to put the math into to, yes. to work for me basically. So maybe let's work through an example. So, uh, First of all, I always try and be fully invested in the market. I'm not always because um, as the market declines or stocks decline, I'll sell out yep. and have some cash then to redeploy on the rebound, as you say. But let's say, let's say, let's keep it simple. I get of the ten investments I've made over the years, I get six right, and I and I average again. Let's just keep it simple: twenty percent return over the last twenty years. Okay. So yep. as I understand, Kelly, my edge is six, six right versus four wrong. So it's a 20% edge. And my return is 20%. And Kelly says you put your edge over your odds, your edge over your return. Yes. Yep. So is he basically, am I doing this right? Does that mean I have to hold one stock? No. Kelly, basically, there's a couple of things that, that are important about Kelly. We might get a bit technical here, and so apologies for this. But okay. Kelly, uh, Kelly is based on... We're all science grads. <laughs> good, the law of large numbers. Yeah. Okay. So Kelly is based on the, the normal distribution. Now, just as you know, quickly, we're all independent, right? So let's go back to my idea of Steve at the average height. The Harlem Globetrotters are walking in. There's no influence between them and me, mm-hmm. okay? So we're all independent variables. And that's what you need for the normal distribution. Mm-hmm. Now, Kelly was using the normal distribution. So what, what, what I mean by that was, Kelly was basically saying, if you go and uh, play dice where, or cards where one hand is not influenced by the next hand and the odds are different on each hand, then mm-hmm. you can work out whether you've got your edge and what it should be. Mm. Kelly then said, and let me give you an example. Let's say I said to you, listen, uh, Tony, I'm going to deal you a hand. We're playing blackjack, right? And I'm mm-hmm. the house. I deal you an ace. And you go, this is pretty good. And you, you think, oh, how much should I bet? Right? Now, you know that if you get a picture card or a 10, you, you're going to hit blackjack. Right? Mm-hmm. So you think, first thing you think is, well, geez, I probably should have put a bit more money in it. Okay? Now, as you're alluding to, Kelly's saying, how much? Now I say to you, okay, let me give you a caveat. There's five cards left in the deck and four of them are picture cards. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a really seriously big chance of pulling the the pot. Mm -hmm. What Kelly is saying is, and you can work through the mathematics to say, the expected return is X and I should bet, in this case, a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, the stock market is a little different. The reason why is because over the over the long term, I would argue it's a normal distribution, right? Um, but in the shorter term, it can really damage your portfolio. So it's a little bit like playing cards and saying, I, um, I've had a really good string of winners because Kelly says, you got an ace? Yep, bet a lot of money. Now, mm-hmm. if you win, 
and your next hand ideally or four you go that's a crap hand i'm not betting on that right so you don't bet so what kelly says is look steve if i deal you an ace every single hand for the next 50 years you would continue to bet a lot of money mm -hmm. now you'll probably you know you'll probably pull a four and go oh geez lost that hand but according to the law of large numbers as you pointed out you'll get more winners and that will compound and what Kelly says is, you want $100. Okay, so the next hand, your total wealth is, say, let's say $150. Right? Kelly says, and you, draw in, you deal me another, or I deal you another ace. Kelly doesn't say, I'll bet the 50 that you bet in the last hand. Kelly says, no, 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 I've told you, put 80% of your wealth in. So you go, oh, well, that's 80% of 150. Mm -hmm. You put that in, then I deal you another ace. You go, God, now I'm going to put 80% of 240 in. Mm -hmm. Has compounded. Now, I don't do the mathematics that rigorously on Kelly right. because the stock market is not where I can say the expected return out of rolling six is, you know, uh, six divided by 100. Right, I've got an 83% chance of throwing a 17% a, a chance of throwing a six. Right, and the expected return at four to one is boom, 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 boom. The but market. But sorry, but can't you do that? Because as you say, in those periods of times where you've loaded up, there's a ratio between the cape, the cape and the stock market return. So, so you could work out the odds, couldn't you? It's like dealing cards. Yes, you could work out the odds in the sense, Tony, of saying, if the cape, I'll make it easy. If the cape's at ten into a hundred, expect around ten percent. Right here. So that would be your expected return. Yes. In the year. Right. So, yep. but what I do is I keep it looser, if I can put it to you that way. The reason why is because I find if you introduce more complexity, then it becomes, it becomes too difficult. And you then start to, uh, this is a personal opinion, you then start to push the mathematics too much rather than saying, look, Steve, I dealt you an ace. Look, you can bet 60 bucks or 70 bucks or 50 bucks. You're probably going to do all right. Now, yeah. if, you, if I said to you, I'm going to do that 80 times, you'd go, who cares? You're going to win every time, right? The, and again, the emphasis of, is, Tony, on avoiding losing money mm. because that's when you, you, your fraction of your wealth falls and you then go, oh, well, I've had a drawdown of you know, 50%. And I say, Oh, well, that's all right, mate. You, you're a long-term investor. Um, uh, Steve, I wanted to invest next year. I wanted to retire next year. Oh, well, in that case, you're stuffed. You haven't got any more money. Yeah. I think, I think you're on the, same, are on the same page. Kelly as a principle, I think, works. Kelly with mathematics as a way to invest, I think, has a lot of baggage and problems. And, and you read the, the papers and they say, well, then use half Kelly rather than full Kelly. Yes. Yes. And that, okay, that, all that says to me is that Kelly doesn't work if you try and work out in the maths. And the, and the reason it doesn't work, I think, is, is for two reasons. One, because it's too hard to calculate the math behind it, yes. what, the, what the edges and what the odds are, because it's a moving feast. Well, that's a subjective and, opinion too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. It is a subjective. You're right. Exactly. And where two, is, where um, is, sorry, just on that point, Tony, this is where the law of large numbers is important because Kelly was saying, well, you've got a dice with six. You can work it out, 17.5% for mm. everyone in those numbers. Whereas in the stock market, you might say, oh, Steve, that's at 22%. I'm like, oh, Tony, I think it's only 16. Oh, Bill yeah. said it's 14. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the other thing too is that, to use your example, which was a good one, if you get, kept 
getting dealt aces and kept putting 80% of your pool out there as it grows, and then you get dealt a four, you've lost 80% of your pool. So yeah. the volatility often kills people as well with Kelly. Yeah, what, the, what Kelly said in response to that argument was the, the declining marginal utility of wealth. So what he said was, look, as you get closer to your wealth goal, you should, in, you should put less money in. So what Kelly is saying is, look, if I, imagine if I said to you, look, Tony, I'm, I'm in for five million. Once you get to five million, I'm out. Right? That'll be the end of the story. Now, if, if it comes to four million, and ideally you're an ace, and Kelly says, right, Tony, stump up 3.8 million of your four, right? Mm. In you go. What Kelly said was, no, 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 that's a bit stupid, mate. You might just want to put in, because what he's saying is, hang on, if you do get the, you know, the black swan event, yeah. you're going to lose a bucket load. And, yeah. and again, what, that's the fractional. So what Kelly would say is, listen, I'll tell you what, Tony, let's put three and a half away and use the 500,000. Now, of the 500, Tony, you probably throw in 200. Yeah. Now, if you lose, you go, bugger, I lost 200, but I've still got three and a half million in cash. Yeah. So that's the old, that's the old Harvard Business School game of uh, in the, um, when they're all pushing their trays along the, the scramble race for food, then they, they play, what's your number? And they, as they go by, they say, you know, what's your number? What's your number where you, you retire? Is it 4 million? Is it 10 million? Is it 20 million? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting game to ask people what their number is. Yes. Well, it, it changes. A wide range of results. Yeah. It changes. Okay. So we've covered, we've covered a lot on Cape and Schiller. One more thing I wanted to cover with you is rebalancing. Sure. And I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I'm, I'm not a believer in rebalancing. And, and I think Buffett says it best when he said, if I own Michael Jordan, why would I bench him when he's on a roll? <laughs> not everyone's Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Rebalancing. Righto. Rebalancing is the creme de la creme. Right? And I, th this, is my, this is my concerted opinion um, and has been for some time. Rebalancing is simply the best way to do it because of the mathematics. Now, I will not argue with you if you pick Michael Jordan. <laughs> My argument is it's hard to pick Michael Jordan. Right? <laughs> so so I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that straight up. Um, but my idea of rebalancing, rebalancing shows you that you make more money the more you rebalance. Right? So if you rebalance daily with a big portfolio, and I, you know, there's obviously complications, but what I, theoretically, you rebalance, you make more money. Now, what, why is that? Because, let me give you an idea. Let's say we buy a stock and it's a dollar, okay? And you say, well, Steve, I'm a buy and holder. And I say, okay, all right, no problem. Now, the stock falls to 90 cents, right? And I say, all right, I'm going to buy another one. Right? I'm going to rebalance. And then it falls to 80 cents. And I say, okay, I'm going to rebalance again. Right? Because my original asset allocation, let's say it's 50-50. So I've got a dollar in a stock and a dollar in cash. Yep. As it falls, I'm reducing my cost price. right? Mm -hmm. And I'm getting more stocks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, let's say it falls to, let's make it simple. It's at a dollar. You wake up one morning, it falls to 50 cents. You go, oh, my God. Right, so you buy two more for the dollar that you've got in cash. You now got three stocks for two dollars. Okay, so you got you know three stocks at about sixty-eight cents, sixty-seven. Yep. Righto, you've held it, you've got it, you've held it. It's a dollar. 
Now, you bought it for a dollar, now it's 50 cents. Let's save you. Let's go back to a dollar, okay? Now, the good news is you haven't lost anything. The better news is my average price from 67 cents back to a dollar where you bought it, where I originally bought it, I'm up 30-odd percent. Mm. The trick is also, this is where the big trick is, is taking money off the table when you've won. Because what I'm saying is, I know there's a big drawdown coming, Tony. I don't know when, but I've got a fair idea that as the CAPE ratio climbs and I peel more of my profit and capital off, I'm going to win. So let me give you a tip. Let me give you a, a, an example. Let's say we start with 100,000 at the bottom of the market, mm -hmm. okay? And yep. we put 80,000 80, in the market and 20 in cash. And we come back seven years later and we've got uh, 220,000 and 20,000 in cash, right? We've probably got a bit more, but anyway. Yep. And at 220,000, I say to you, listen, Tony, this is getting a bit crazy up here. I've had a really good run. Now I'm going to switch from 80, 20 to 20, 80. So at the top of the market, I'm now saying I've got 220 invested and I'm only going to put 20% in. That's 44,000. Let's say I go, right, let's take 50. Right, so I'm going to take 170,000 off and put it in my cash tin. Mm -hmm. So at the top of the market, I've got 190 in cash and 50 in stocks. So let me just, I understand what you're saying. Let me just work through this as an example, though. Um, let's start with the dot com. So yep. say, say you're investing on, in 2001 and you're 80% stocks and you're 20% cash. Yes. And then you get to a period, which I'm going to guess is, you know, 2006 or 2006 five or seven, where you're saying the CAPE ratio is so high, I'm now going to reverse that and go 20% cash, 80% stocks. Yes. You might sit there though for three or four years until 2009, and then you reverse it again and go 80% stocks, 20% cash. Maybe 70, 30, but yes, I'll, I'll reweight if I can put it that way. Yeah. Now, let, me, so, let, me just, let, me just, let me just finish this, this example. At the top of the market, I say to you, listen, Tony, it's time to get out. You go, Steve, I'm a buy and holder. I'm staying in. I go, okay, mm -hmm. you've got 220 and 20 in cash. I've got 50 in stocks and a 190 in cash. Now the market falls 50%. Your 220 is now 110. My 50 is now 25. Mm -hmm. At the bottom of the market, you've got 110 and 20 in cash. You've got 130. I have got 215 because I've got 190 in cash and my 50, I lost 50 on. So I lost 25, but I've got 25 in stock. Now I've got 190 to put back in at 80, 20 again, whereas you have got 130 in total. So in other words, from the bottom to the next bottom, I went from 100 to 215. You went from 100 to 130. Mm. Why? because you got the big downfall, I didn't. And yep. then if you just keep doing that, I will end up with more money. And well, that's, 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 that's what I, I, that's, I understand what you're saying, but that's where I need to just drill down a bit because the market can go sideways for a long time at a high valuation like it, like yes. it is now. And yes, you can yes. be sitting in cash for a long time. Absolutely. Um, which, yeah, which, which I mean, my experience is that, and I've seen this with fund managers, they'll stay in cash for years and years and years and years, and they'll underperform the market for years and years and years and years. And then they'll do good when the market crashes and they put that cash to work. But 
it's it's still not necessarily better than you know trying to get a trying to find the nuggets all the way through regardless of the cycle yeah i i, I would disagree tony and the reason why i think is because what this is what people say to me um people will say to me and i'll give you a more recent example i you know like people said oh steve you missed the march bounce yes absolutely i also missed the 35 percent february fall <laughs> oh 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 so uh, so you didn't get the march bottom no so how are we year to date uh we're still down 10 percent. oh that's a bit strange so what i say tony is people often say to me oh steve you're missing out on all these returns and i say oh right okay then I see them the next year when the markets crash and they go, bugger me, it's down below where you bailed out. And it's like, yeah. right, okay. So what I'm saying is, again, the, 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 the price and the fluctuation, and this is where I think the only point where you and I differ is I'm more of an index yeah. person in that sense, whereas you yeah. might say, I don't disagree, because I do it myself by saying, look, I've, you know, I've got a, a stock that has done really well and now it's done really badly, but I'm not getting out of it. Whereas with an index, what I, what I find, Tony, is people, and it talks to my point at the start where people go, ah, yes, yeah, but you're gonna miss the March, you know, the March mm. bounce. And I'd say, that's because you cherry pick. Mm. So the principles are used timelessly, not, you know, yes. look, these principles are good for the next five years, Tony, but after that, bugger me, I haven't got a clue. <laughs> Now, look, I, I agree with you. You're, you're kind of a one-stock portfolio, aren't you? And you're always um, allocating between cash and not. So it's like, it's like buying BHP or, or trading BHP. If BHP was the only stock in the Australian stock market, you're trading BHP. You're saying, I'm going to buy it when it's cheap, you know, and to simply yeah. say when the PE is less than 10 and I'm going to sell it when the PE is more than 20. I'm yeah. going to sit in cash for the rest. So no, I, I accept that. The difference I'm saying is I don't go to cash. I go and find something else to replace BHP. Absolutely. This is, that was the point I was going to make to you. People often say that to me and they go, oh, well, Steve, you know, God, you'd have been out of the market for years. And it's like, well, yes, unless, of course, I bought bonds and I was making a return on bonds. Oh, mm. well, yes, but besides that. And I bought an investment property. Or well, yeah, and besides yeah. that. So what I'd say to people is, you, again, I'm a, I'm a macro guy. So I look at it holistically yeah. and say, yep. I've got an investment property earning X. And, and as you know, Tony, again, the reason why cash is important is because it's uncorrelated. Stocks mm. can do whatever they like, but I've still got, you know, a million in cash sitting there waiting to be deployed. Does, and, in, and in fact, I want stocks to crash so I can use my million. Yeah, and that's a good point I think that we should highlight is that even though cash is cash and a dollar is a dollar, when the market crashes, a dollar can buy you twice as much as what it could have bought when it's high. So the dollar is actually worth $2. Absolutely. It's the point. It, it's the point I've been making, Tony, for, um, for a long time when people, oh, you know, cash is terrible. And, you know, Warren Buffett said, um, look, cash is a terrible investment, but it beats the shit out of losing a lot of money in the <laughs> stock market. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. You know, yeah. so it's a, the, the value of cash, Tony, is the optionality. Mm -hmm. If I came to you and said, Tony, the market's crashed and I'm going to offer you 12%, you went, oh, Steve, I haven't got any money. It's like, oh, bad luck, Tony. Mm. You know, if you've got cash, and as I, as I said with the, um, you know, the, the, the point I did before about the 7% versus 4%, you're earning 4% in cash going, oh, geez, you know, my brother's killing me about it. Suddenly, 
you get a great opportunity. Next minute, you've whizzed past it. Because your brother's still copping seven, mm-hmm. but you're compounding. Why? Because you bought it cheaper. Mm. You know, so you you know that the the rule of seventy two tells you, you know, mm-hmm. if you get if you get interest of seven point two, you'll get double it in ten years. But if you mm-hmm. can get fourteen, you'll be there in five. Yeah. You know, yeah, exactly. uh, and so it's, as it says, it taught. That's why I listen to the numbers, not the narrative. Yeah, yeah stats, not stories. I agree. Yeah, hey, listen, that was good. We covered a lot of ground there. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of, I wanted to, to tease out those three ideas with, ideas with you, the Cape Schiller ratio, um, rebalancing, and the Kelly criteria. So thanks for that. Cam, did you want to lob in with any questions or observations now? Microphone's off, Cam. Yeah, no, sorry. I'm um, hitting the unmute button, but I did something else. Yeah, I think um, I was trying to interrupt earlier about the Kelly criteria because I think um, it's probably good to just refresh uh, in the minds of myself and our audience what it is. I've got the Wikipedia page open here, but it doesn't help much. But I think you guys sort of got to that eventually anyway, so that's okay. I can, let, me just, well, let me just give you a good example. If you have a, a coin that is weighted, so if you toss a coin, it's 50-50, and you get your money, you get your, if you win, you get twice your money. If you have a, and so you should, it doesn't matter what you bet, over time you're, you should walk away with what you started with, right? If you bet um, on average all the way through. What Kelly says is if you have a weighted coin that gives you a better than 50-50 chance, then you should put more of your money out. Yeah, Kelly basically says this. Look, um, there's a horse race on and there's 10 horses in the race. And the odds, the odds of the horse, one of the horse's odds is 10 to 1. Listen, I spoke to everybody and they're all, they're all actually done it. And the 10 to 1 shot's going to win. It's been, you know, it's rigged, right? So the public odds are 10 to 1, but you actually know it's 2 to 1 on. Now, unless it falls over, you're going to bet at 10 to 1. So you're going to go, hell, I'm going to put a hell of a lot of money on this, right? Because, and so what Kelly said was, what's your information edge? And I mm-hmm. say... The Cape ratio is my edge where I go, look, that's the edge that says to me, public, public people are going, oh, my God, the markets are awful. Cape is saying I'm going to get 13%. All right, well, I'm going in for a penny. So I get that, and I guess where I struggle Jim, a little bit. We should, we should do an Sorry, Matt, I think we've got a bit of lag. Sorry, what Cam. Were you saying? I was just going to say, yeah, I think we should do a whole episode on the Cali criteria because it's really interesting. Sure. Uh, it's, um, there's a lot of history behind it with, um, there's a good book, Fortune's Formula, which goes through it all with Kelly and uh, with yeah. uh, Thorpe and with um, uh, Sharp and all these kinds of people. So it's, it's, um, it's, worth, it's worth spending a whole episode on it rather than trying to cover it off here. And there's great, great stories behind it all. I mean, the, if, you, if you want to quickly know what the, what the Kelly criteria is, look at, think of the movie The Sting, where they set up a, um, a, a betting shop that had a, a line back to the racetrack Yes. So they could get the results of the races a minute before they broadcast it in the betting shop. And then they had um, a really good advantage, which is the edge over the people in the betting shop. And they were able to, you know, put all their money into that and, and fleece them. Yeah. So that's, that's where it comes from. Every gambler's dream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the wire. The yeah. Get over the house. Exactly. All right. No, well, that's, that's good. Uh, thanks for, again for coming on, Steve, and uh, I look forward to we catch up for lunch down at uh, our local at some point. Absolutely. Yes, let's do that. We'll, uh, we'll talk more Kelly formula. 
<laughs> no, pl please don't. I'm, I'm the one of us that doesn't have a science degree and doesn't like, like complicated maths. That's so like it's you and, I are, are you and I over a round of golf, Tony. Yeah, so look, I'm looking forward to coming back up to Brisbane. So, uh, yeah, we can catch up, play golf. We can talk Kelly. Absolutely. Uh, all those kinds Labor of things. Labor Party stalwarts. Yes, yes, that's right. Yep. And wine. And what's all right? Wine. And, and wine. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. All right. All right. And I'll, thanks, mate. I'll get Thank you back you. into the horses Thank you too. For the invitation. <laughs> all right, Steve. Steve. Thanks. Bye. 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 But then after uh, we sort of formally closed the interview, we all kept talking, and uh, so I might as well just throw that in here as well because it's good stuff. All right. Well, that's it. Done and dusted. Yeah. Thanks very much for that, Steve. That was a, that was a nice, vigorous discussion. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think, I think Tony and I are fit. As I say to a lot of, you know, a lot of people don't get it, um, but mm. Tony and I are roughly on the same page. It's basically just about, like, as you point out, Tony, the, the difference between companies and indexes. Yes. And the book, what I found, Tony, is a lot of, a lot of so-called education for, um, written by a lot of financial advisors and stuff is really talking to people who already know about the stock market. Right. You know, like they start talking about return on equity and, you know, depreciation and balance sheets and income statements. So it's a bit like, oh, mate, come on. Most mm. people have got a bloody clue what you're talking about. Mm. So, you know, the idea is to sort of say to people, look, you can actually use indexing and just do a bit of market timing and allocation issues and you'll do just fine yeah. and you'll save yourself a lot of money than you will giving it to a, a financial advisor who puts you through the crashes. Yeah. And look, you're right. I mean, even though I always try and be fully invested, when, um, you know, when the market crashed in seven and eight, I went and mortgaged my house to have more cash to put into the market yeah. in, in 2009. So that's, that's, again, a form of Kelly. Yeah, just, most people would have, as, and as you know, Tony, most people would have absolutely shit themselves. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. My, I, knew, I knew I was onto something when my father rang up and said, Jim, all my mates have gone to cash. What should I do? <laughs> it's like, no, no. Well, it's funny right. because my mate, I, was, I was in Germany, uh, in Japan, and a fellow said to me, Steve, he said, uh, do you think I should buy ANZ shares? And I said, well, I said, I'll tell you what, Michael, you can borrow it about four. And they're paying a dividend of about six and a half. I said, so I'll tell you what to do. Go borrow a million dollars. And then when they pay you the dividends, pay back the bloody shares and you'll cut the rest of it. Yeah, and you'll exactly. get capital gain. Yeah. But it's that, I think, you know, go on, Tiff, sorry. No, I was just going to say, what I took out of this conversation was, you know, the big difference is what Tony does is, has a, Tony developed a system for finding the nuggets. So that's the one thing is, and Tony's, teaches us that you can find nuggets, whether it's a bull market, a bear market, whether capes high or capes low, our job is to find the nuggets. And the other difference is when there is a large market decline or even an individual stock decline, Tony doesn't write it all the way down. He has a stop loss mechanism in place. Yes. So we get out at a certain yeah. point. It's going to depend or vary from stock to stock, but he does have stop loss mechanisms in there, so he doesn't write it down 35% um, yeah. unless the three-point trend line sell price is 35% mm. lower. Mm. <laughs> but right. usually it, it, get, 
Yeah, he gets out and uh, then redeploys with the next nugget that he's found or yeah. waits to the and market. And that's how I rebalance. I think, I, th- I think, sorry, Cam, I think one of the, um, the, diff- the things I don't like about rebalancing are that it's done on a timetable. So uh, I'd rather, as Cam says, have a stop loss and rebalance when the share price comes off rather than, which might be in 18 months' time rather than the 12-month yeah, deadline yeah. you've set to rebalance. So, yeah. yeah. It's a, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting argument, Tony. I, I think, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Robert Licello. Uh, no. no. Okay, let me send you a link uh, to his book. Um, he talks about, he has a computer, uh, what do you call it, system um, model that you actually, what he said was, you know, it calculates how much you should buy and sell. And you can do that for stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he did, well, he originally said you can do it for index funds and um, mutual funds, but it was written in the 50s. Um, but he said, you know, it will work not as well, but will work with stocks, you know, provided you stick to the, you know, the, 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 the ASX 50 as mm-hmm. opposed to the, you know, the afterpays and that sort of stuff. Um, but it's, again, the, the, the thing that struck me about the rebalancing was that it outperforms buy and hold. That's yes. the, and right. again, that's not me. That's that's not Steve saying. Oh, I reckon this is the mathematics of it. And mm-hmm. that was when I sort of went, right, okay, now I get it. Mm. Um, and that's why I said to people, you know, even Buffett rebalances. Mm. Um, yeah, I know, think we we have a concept that we talk about called the investment ladder, where we say, you know, come in and buy an index fund. Yes. Put your own index fund together work out how to value the companies in the index fund, which is basically the top 20 of the ASX. That's yeah. 70 or 80% of the, of the market. Yeah. Um, work out the, comp- the one company that you like the best and invest in that. And once you've reached that last stage, then you're able to then take that valuation principle and apply it to the whole market at different times. Yeah. So what you're saying is along that ladder, you've bought the index fund, but now you've got the next stage, which is let's, let's look at balancing it with cash. Yes. Yeah. The un- and it's and it's in similar exactly what you're doing, which is saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a hundred in Woolworths and I'll keep a hundred in cash against Woolworths. Now when Woolworths falls, I'll put more in. Which and and the reason why I do that is I say to people because if you look at your superannuation, and every month it went into the market, and I said to you, every month you get a different interest rate, you would actually say. Oh, hang on, Steve, I'll wait till you deal me 11% and then I'll go in, you know, I'm going to save all my money, Steve, and then I'm going to plonk it in when you give me a really good return. I say, right. okay, yep. what people do with that dollar cost averaging is, is nothing wrong with that. But all I say is, well, hang on, we know that the market rises and falls. Mm-hmm. Cape tells us, so what Cape says is, listen, just keep saving your money. Then when you get the bottom, really start putting it in down mm-hmm. around the bottom, yep. around the top start peeling it off yep. and not just leave it there because it'll suffer a big fall. Yep. So, you know, and that's what you do with companies and I do with indexes. In, yeah, in I just don't do it. I just don't do it to a deadline because I, like, for example, with our portfolio, we have a dummy portfolio for our listeners. The best performing stock is, stock is Fortescue Metals. And oh. if we take, take one of the worst performing stocks, I don't know, Cam, what would it be? Schaefer Corp, something like that. Yep. What, what, I, what wouldn't work for us is at, in December 31, selling our Fortescue Metal shares and buying Schaefer Corp. Yes. Be, because Fortescue Metals has kicked on and Schaefer Corp hasn't. So 
it doesn't. But if we said, let's sell Fortescue Metals when it starts to turn down and put it into Schaefer Corp at that stage, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. What I do there, um, Tony, is when you look at the quilt of returns for countries, um, and Schiller talks about this in uh, Chapter 8 of Irrational Exuberance, what you see is, and this is how I sort of fell across the strategy, was the countries are terrible. Then they're fantastic. Yeah. Then they're terrible again. Then they're yeah. fantastic. So what yeah. I do is I buy the shitty ones because people yeah. go, oh, my God, who'd want to buy turkey? And I, I calculate over the, the 13 years, I've made 250%. But if you picked it at, two th- at the start, people go, oh, mate, you can't tell which country's going to win over 10 years. Mate, I don't want to be, I'm just making money. So again, it's a shorter term of like Kelly by saying, this is a really good bet for Turkey. Right, I bet it in. Have you made a lot of money? Yep, okay, pull the money out. Now put it in Chile. The difference there is, as I use an example, is saying a friend of mine bought Woodside in 2007 at, you know, 63 or something. Now it's 20, Mm. right? That's the problem. Where I say, look, it's easier just to say, a country, you're not going to wake up one morning and go, oh, my God, Turkey's bankrupt. Oh, my God. You know, that's not going to happen. So you, if you asset allocate properly, you're buying lower as it gets worse, indeed, is what I've done often. And then I make a big heap when every fund manager goes, oh, shit, look at Russia. It's really cheap. Let's pile into Russia. But if I took your table from your book and, yes. and it's 2007 and Ireland's not doing so good. It's the bottom of the table. Yes. And the Cape ratios dropped. So you're putting more money in and you put it into Ireland. Ireland was then the worst one in 2008 and 2009, but you were having big bets on it. So no, 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 no. I'm having small bets on it. But the Cape ratio is low. No, no, no. The Cape ratio is low. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Because the US Cape ratio was 27. But in 2007 and 2008, after the market crashed, it dropped right back again. The US. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That was 2009 when it fell from, it fell from roughly about 27 to about 14. And again, let me give you an example was Greece. If you have a look at Greece, it was a shocker. But there were periods where you'd have sold out of Greece because uh, the strategy is you buy the bottom three Mm -hmm. and you asset allocate accordingly. So if you continue to put money in them, you find that they bounce. Yes, no, definitely. Except that you can have the case of Ireland where you have three, three or four bad years in a row. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's why I say to people, that's the reason why you have a conservative asset allocation. The second thing is too, because people point that out and say, oh, mate, look at Greece. And I say, yes. The question is, did your portfolio perform overall? Oh, yeah, I did great. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. Well, you know, I'm not going to give it 100% every, you know, every time. And again, so what I say to people is, because I had a mate say to me, oh, geez, mate, he said that bloody, what was it? Um, there was some company I'd talked to him about, and he went, oh, you know, that didn't do too well. And I said, how'd you go with Mill and Shakespeare? Oh, yeah, killed it on that one. What about MacArthur Cole? Oh, yeah, killed it. It's like, so you did all right overall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, mm. that's generally the idea. You know, it's like that's, saying I lost one hand out of 45. Oh, that's terrible. That's you why know? I stopped giving it. I, I originally had lots of my friends come for advice, but it was that's always right. the mistake that they remembered, not the successes. <laughs> so now I don't do it. <laughs> and it's also the one where they say, yeah, Tony, I picked, you know, 
ABC penny stock and I'm up 400%. So I go, oh, Jesus, you know, yeah. here we go. You know. So why do you need me? That's what I say, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, but they do. They always remember the losers and forget the, the winners you gave them. Yep. Yeah, yep, definitely, definitely. It's, um, I'm a bit like that with your, your with your horses at the moment, Tony. But I haven't given you any winners on my horses yet. <laughs> well, and I'm just remembering all the losers. Yeah. yeah <laughs> all right, guys. All right. We should uh, we should wrap it up. Thanks again, Steve. Let's keep in touch. I'll let you know when this goes online. Well, there you go. So that was our chat last week with Stephen Moriarty. Uh, again, I thought it was nice, vigorous, went well. Uh, take from that what you will. Give me your feedback. Give me your thoughts. Shoot me emails. Uh, get on if you're on our Facebook uh, group. Let us know what you thought of that. Uh, and you know, Tony's comments earlier this week. If you think he, if you agree with Stephen, you think Tony fundamentally doesn't understand Cape and Kelly, and he did it wrong. Let us know. We'll take the feedback happily, and and uh, Tony can rerun his analysis. Uh, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ah, there you go. Fun and games in the uh, podcast uh, empire. Have a good week. Be careful out there. Let's not let coronavirus get back into the country. I'm looking forward to coming down to Melbourne. We are excited about doing some events in Sydney and Melbourne again now that uh, the borders are opening up. So stay tuned for that. Tasmania, South Australia, Perth. We will get to you as soon as humanly possible. I think WA border is still shut for the foreseeable future. Uh, But we will be coming down. And uh, good luck with your investing. It's going to be an interesting couple of weeks with the election. So uh, hang tight. Think long term. (laughs) See ya.